So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. I've been produced here in our Come and See studio in Ada, and this the 17th of February. It's the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our programme, as people know this stage, is broadcast here in Sacred Space on West Limit 102 from 10am to 11pm each Sunday, and it's available for playback and download on commonseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com. And if you open up buzzsprout.com website, you can search for Come and See Inspirations and find us there. But also, the, what's been there for years uh, has been access to this program through our blog, which is sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Our podcasting team uh, this morning for this particular recording includes Shane Ambrose, our blog editor and researcher, and everything else that we can't do. Good morning, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good, thank you. you got a little bit of a cold, but you're battling through it? Yeah, ever so slightly. Ever so slightly, yeah. <laughs> And, of course, join, join me also in, uh, here in the studio here, in Commonsea Studio here in Ad, is my dear wife, uh, Anne, and Anne Keeley. Good morning to you, Anne. How are you? Fine, thank you, John. Good morning, listeners. Anne's the lady who keeps us going from a prayer point of view anyway, uh, especially try, trying to keep me in some sort of um, between the sticks, as they say, in, in, in prayer terms during the programme. Um, Lorraine can't, uh, couldn't join us today, but actually the program was at full anyway. We probably wouldn't have had time to do any catechesis this week, but she'll join us again next week. But as usual today, we will have the Saints for the Week, which Anna will be letting us know about in a few seconds. Um, we'll also read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. At the end of this particular, uh, well, ju- actually just in a few minutes, uh, I'll play back an interview that I conducted early on during the week with Don Devaney, who's the organiser for the Divine Mercy Conference uh, in the RDS, which uh, takes place next Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But Don will tell us more about that. And then in part two, then, uh, Shane uh, has an interview there with Rose O'Connor from the Pastoral Centre there in, in Limerick to let us know a little bit more about what's happening in the diocese. If you want to contact the station at all, if you you can do so by texting us, and that's on 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. Or you can contact us by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. So, Shane, you might be able to share some science for the week, please. Sure, John. Uh, so, as you said, we're looking at the sixth week in ordinary time. It's passing by very quickly. It's only a couple of weeks to Lent, folks. And for those that are praying the Psalter, we're on week two. So in terms of saints for the week, John, a couple of interesting ones. Well, a couple of strange kind of feasts that we keep this week. So, but anyway, first things first. On Monday, the 18th of February, we have the feast day of St. Coleman of Lindisfarne. Lindisfarne, spiritual student and disciple of St. Columba. He was a monk at Iona and he was created Bishop of Lindisfarne in England in 661. He defended the Celtic Church uh, at the Synod of Whitby and then... Uh, when King Oswy of Northumbria insisted on the use of the Roman rites, Coleman refused and resigned his see and led a group of dissident monks firstly to Scotland and then to the Isle of Inishbofin, which of course is off the coast of Mayo. And he's associated with founding an abbey and a diocese in Mayo. And he died in 676. Uh, then on Tuesday, we have one of the newer Irish blesseds on the calendar. It's Blessed John Sullivan. Now, John Sullivan is as Jesuit blessed. He was the son of the Lord Chancellor of Ireland, raised Church of Ireland, so he was Anglican. His mother was Catholic. Many years he was a barrister. Uh, then when his father died, he inherited his father's estate, 
quit his career and became tra- and travelled for quite a bit. Uh, he spent several mon- months at an Orthodox monastery, contemplated joining the Orthodox Church before converting to Catholicism. And then in 1900, he joined the Jesuits, was ordained in 1907, and taught at Clongo's College uh, um, for many, many years. And he had very much a ministry towards the sick. So he died in 1933 at St. Vincent's Nursing Home in Dublin, and he was beatified in 2017. So that's Blessed John Sullivan. Then, of course, for Fatima um, uh, devotees, of course, Wednesday is an important day. It is the feast day of St. Jacinta Marto. Jacinta, of course, is the youngest visionary of Our Lady of Fatima. Uh, She was born in 1910, died in 1920, and she was canonized in 2017 by Pope Francis. So that's uh, Jacinta's feast day that we celebrate on the 20th of February. Then on the 21st of February, we celebrate the feast day of St. Peter Damien, a saint who died in 1072. uh, um, He was a hermit who later became the Cardinal Bishop of of Ostia. Now, he's known as a bishop and doctor of the church. Now, Ostia is one of the supporting dioceses of Rome. So it's it's a it's a significant see to hold. He was an outstanding reformer in church life and associated very much with imposing discipline around that time. So that's St. Peter Damien, whose feast day we celebrate on the 21st of February. Then, John, the odd one this week, the feast day on the 22nd of, which is Friday next week, and it is a full feast day. So it outranks all memorials on the day and is the feast of the chair of St. Peter. Now, it's an unusual kind of one. Why would you celebrate a chair? And it's, it's an ancient feast which relates to the Roman custom of remembering the ancestors and those who presided over the family fortunes. And it is it celebrates Peter as the Bishop of Rome. And, of course, the fact that he sits in the cathedral, he sits in the chair to guide the faith, to guide the community, to lead the brethren. Um, and it's one of the times of the year, if you're in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, where the statue of St. Peter, which sits in the aisle of St. Peter's Basilica, it's a big, huge bronze thing. I don't, it's not very, it's not a very particularly nice statue. Yeah, but it's what it's, they dress the statue up. So you'll you'll go in, you'll see the ta- the statue is wearing uh, a, a tiara, a papal tiara, and vestments uh, to celebrate the feast day, uh, which is the chair of Saint Peter. The interesting thing about that statue, for anyone that's been in Saint Ro- in Saint Peter's Basilica in Rome, is you'll know that the toe of it is worn away from pilgrims touching it. Then on Saturday we have the feast day of Saint Polycarp. He was another bishop and martyr. Polycarp was a bishop in Smyrna or Izmir in modern Turkey, and he was a disciple. He was one of the main disciples of John the Apostle. He died around one fifty five. Uh, St. Polycarp is who is recounts to us the death of John and he's and also about the revelation on the island of Patmos as well. So that's the feast, that's the celebrations that we have uh, in uh, the calendar this week, John. Sure, thank you so much for that. So now this part of the programme, I might invite Anne to lead us in a spirit of communion prayer, which we offer especially for those who could not receive Jesus in Holy Communion this morning. We also include in our, um, in our spiritual communion prayer all who are sick and lonely and housebound or worried in any way. Thanks, Anne. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul since I now cannot receive you sacramentally come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. 
Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. So now, at this part of the program, we'd invite listeners just to listen to an interview that I conducted early on during the week with, uh, as I said, Dan Devaney from the Divine Mercy Conference, um, which has been held uh, next weekend. So it's great now to have join us uh, today on our Come and See uh, program here, uh, which is, of course, broadcast in sacred space, West Limit 102. Don Devaney, who has been so involved with the Divine Arranging and, and been so involved with the Divine Mercy Conference uh, in the IDS in Dublin each year. Uh, w- welcome onto the programme, Don. How are you? John, thank you so much. It's great to be talking to you again, and the year has gone through so quickly. It's flown so um, well. So, Divine Mercy Conference coming up again, um, actually this Friday the 22nd and Saturday the 23rd and Sunday the 24th. Um, what do you have lined up this year, Don, for us? Okay, yeah, our, our team this year, John, is uh, from the Our Father. Let us not be put to the test, or in the old words would be, lead us not, do not lead us into temptation. And uh, it's let us not be put to the test, as Pope Francis was saying too. It was a, and he figured there's a better translation of it, so uh, we've gone with that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, and it's very appropriate, in fact, in, in view of the light of uh, the abortion uh, referendum that mm. a lot of people may think that uh, because this is in legislation that it's uh, it's okay. And we're saying, no, it's not in God's legislation. So, mm. uh, so let us not be put to test. So it's very appropriate for our time. Our speakers that we have this year are Father Hayden Williams. He's a um, a Capuchin priest from Malta, and he's quite an amazing speaker, is the word I used in describing him, because he was the only priest in the history of the intercession for priests that was asked back two years on the, in a row uh, because he was so good. He's good, okay. Very lively, full mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, great storyteller, great sense of humour, and I, in my opinion, one of the best speakers we've had in 28 years, so um, very, very, very good man. And uh, we have Father Yunan MacDonald. Father Yunan is the provincial of the Salishan Order, and he's been our spiritual director since Father Michael Ross died. God rest him, and we miss him so much. And um, we've got Father Brendan Walsh, whom, whom all your listeners know from Torlis, that he's famous sure. healing. Oh, yeah, it's just an amazingly powerful, very gifted, gifted, powerful, powerful preacher and teacher and a very gifted healing ministry. So, um, and he, he does his family tree retreats down in Turles there and praying for those people who've gone ahead of us. And um, so he's, he, you know, people are really looking forward to hearing. Brendan, he's doing the healing service on the Saturday night. And what time is and that on? The, what time is the healing service on on, on Saturday it, night? It's on a, It's on a, It starts at a quarter past seven on on Saturday evening. Okay. And it goes on till it finishes at nine o'clock. But it's a very powerful part of the mm, conference. We did it two years ago, and by demand of people writing in to saying when is he coming back, and uh, who, you know when are you having him back again? So. So he's on this year, this Saturday night, and we're all looking forward to that. And um, also on the Sunday morning, we saw the Patrick Cahill. Again, he's from Kilcomra, um, the family, Holy Family Mission there in Kilcomra House. And uh, he's he's on the he's the youth director, the spiritual director of Youth 2000, and he's leading the Holy Hour on Saturday on Sunday morning. 
Beautiful. Um, and I believe Father Patrick is very much involved with a group of people down some down there in Waterford, isn't he? I think at the Holy... That's right. Hmm. That's exactly right. Down in Waterford, yeah. They're under Bishop Alphonsus Cullinan. Oh, yes. Good um, friend of ours. And, um, yeah, so he's a Limerick man and he says they're doing great work down there and they have... Um, Maura Garrahy's down there with him. And That's right, a, yeah. He's a very, very good team, mm-hmm. team of people, and they're doing great work with the young people. So they're doing, the, they're doing their part of Father Eunan's, um reconciliation service on the Friday night for young people. We have, actually, that's something I should have started with, that on Friday night we have uh, a healing service for, for our young people. And Is that new? Is that new? No? Yeah, that's new. Yeah, it's, it's we're trying to get it trying to get it off the ground and it's totally free there's no charge and um, Father Hayden Williams will be speaking Father Eunan and Gerard Hanley the, um, he was formerly a, a, a League of Ireland footballer he's given this testimony as well so it'll be it'll be it'll be a great night and there'll be some food laid on for the young people and some good music and a very powerful music ministry some good stories some food and chance to meet each other. So that's for the young people on uh, Friday night. Mm-hmm. And again, there's no charge. So people can say, well, I've no money, so I can't go. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, yeah. So it's a special reach, well outreach to mm-hmm. the young people. And, um, and then so the Archbishop of Dublin then. Yeah, the Archbishop is coming on there. He's saying Mass on the Saturday evening. And then on the and then fairness to him, he's Archbishop for the last fifteen years and he supported the conference. He only missed two years out of the fifteen, so wow. he's been been a fantastic support to us. Mm-hmm. And we have on the uh Sunday then we've Archbishop Jude Tadeus um Ocolo, Ocolo. He's the, the papal nuncio, our new papal nuncio, mm-hmm. he's from Nigeria. But he's a great speaker, very good sense of humour, very clear very clear speaker, good storyteller as well. So he, he's, he's a good guy. And um, we're looking forward to hearing him on cease, uh, saying, uh, celebrating the Eucharist on Sunday at 3 o'clock. And we have a, we have a pro-life speaker, Neve Vreen, that Neve is, um, she's speaking on pro-life as I was saying, John, that mm-hmm. like, while the referendum was lost um, in God's legislation, like, nothing changes like mm, the, mm. the sacredness of life is still life is still a sacred regardless of what legislation they put through and we're just saying to Catholics look uh, because it's in legislation it doesn't make it right you know yes um, so and Neve is speaking on this in fairness she's um, haven't seen her on some of the chat shows she's well able to handle yes. a lot of the political the political people they put forward on the subject mm-hmm. and she's well able to hold her own so um, well so she's she's speaking on the Saturday. So it's 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 a very very good lineup. It's and packed, yeah. Again, and one of the things, John, you know, is that we often often people say, oh, numbers are dropping at conferences all over the country. And but one of the things that we forget is that is that for the Divine Mercy Conference, first of all, we live stream it. And there was a priest telling us at the intercession. He said, do you know? Um, and actually, Breach McKenna, Sister Breach McKenna, was saying the same. That, in fact, there's it's, there's people all over Africa, India, the Philippines that actually rent out halls and gather together for the live stream and, and watch it. 
indifferent. And I was absolutely amazed well when done. I heard that. Well done. Because we often just look at the, and in fairness, there's a man, Brian Flanagan, up in Bunkrana. Brian uh, rents the local cinema and puts it on in the local cinema. And we, we have confessions, they have confessions. When we have mass, they have mass. And it's, it's such a great idea. And um, the people in Knock were looking at live streaming it as well and uh, gathering people in Knock to see it. So, um, And that was another idea that they were following up on. But the one in Bunkrana is up alive and working. And it's been working for the last six years. So um, Brian Flanagan up there does a great job in it. So uh, so a lot of people are, are, are coming in online to look at it and joining us from all over the world. And it's something, because we don't see them, uh, you could nearly forget about them, but they're there, and the mm-hmm. conference is having an effect far and wide. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, uh, thanks as well to yourselves, because I asked you there a few years ago, would it be okay if, if we were able to maybe record some of the stuff that we, you know, that we've seen on your website? And you said yes. And m- most of our listeners are, are maybe sick or elderly or can't get out of the house and so on and so forth. But we played um, quite a few of the um, uh, talks given by his, by some of the speakers over the years at the Divine Mercy Conference, and the reaction from our listeners has been fantastic because they can't get oh, up. They can't get up there. Oh, that's that's fantastic! So to well hear. done, well done. So oh, that's great. It's all about spreading the message of Divine Mercy and. And I'm so delighted that because the talks are up on the website free of charge, that again they're used across India, Africa, the Philippines, and further afield in their catechetics classes, in prayer groups, mm-hmm. and all that. And we're just so delighted because the Divine Mercy Conference is, is that's the whole purpose. We are not profit making, we are purely, we're not commercial, we're purely just for spreading the divine mercy far and wide. And, well done, and well done. it's God's work, I must say. So um, thanks be to God for, for the way he does bless it. It is his work. All we're, we're just broken instruments that put in our tuppence hateny work and he does the rest. So thanks be to God. Now, thanks for that. Now, just before I ask you to run through the details again, just briefly, um, I really should have started up, but I know we're caught for time this morning. Um, may- maybe just in a minute or so, if you can possibly do that, please, just give a flavour of, uh, of what the Divine Mercy is, Divine Mercy um, devotion, is. maybe to some of our listeners yeah, okay, who wouldn't have heard yeah. of it before. Okay. Just uh, the Divine Mercy devotion was, first of all, Jesus appeared to Faustine in 1931. He said to her, you know, I want you to tell the world about my mercy and I want you to tell people to trust in me. And that's the the logo on the end of his, under his image, Jesus, I trust you. Trust is the opposite to fear. And he said that, uh, that when the most hardened sinners gaze upon his image, their hearts will be softened and they'll get graces by just gazing upon his image. So it's a powerful promise. He wanted to ask Faustina, St. Faustina, to tell the world about his mercy and that the world won't have peace until it turns in trust to his divine mercy. And really, it's a message of peace. It's a, it's a message of hope. Mm. It's a message for the most hardened sinners to say, look, no matter what you've done, no matter what's gone wrong in your life, Jesus loves you and he's just waiting waiting on you to just to come back to him and there's no question about people are afraid of going to confession we're running a parish mission in Sagard at the minute Sister Breach McKenna is speaking at it 
But the number of people that are coming that have been away from confession and people saying, I've been away for 20, 30 years, and mm. we're saying, oh, that's great. And they're saying, we've forgotten what to say, you know, mm. and God love them, you know. Your heart could go out and you just say, speak the way you're talking to, you talk to, you're talking to me now, just speak in ordinary words and don't worry about formulas or anything else. And so the Divine Mercy is a message for our time. It's a message of hope for the entire world. And the slogan that we use as well is that uh, everybody needs God's mercy and God's mercy is for everyone. And we say divine mercy in every home, in every parish, in every county, in every country, you know. And uh, so we're hoping in every heart, in every home, in every uh, parish, in every county, in every country. So that's our slogan is just to try and reach out as far and wide as we possibly can to bring that message. Jesus, I trust in you. Well done. Thanks for that. And I know I, I spoke with Don uh, just before we started this uh, recorded and we've agreed to to have Don on again in a few weeks time during Lent where he'll give us a bit more information about Divine Mercy and share with us some thoughts uh, to, to help us as we journey through Lent. Um, but that's later on. But in, in the meantime, just for the last minute or so we got left, just to remind listeners again, the Divine Mercy Conference starts next Friday, yeah, 22nd. Yeah, it starts Friday, 22nd for young people, free of charge in the RDS, Ballsbridge, Dublin 4. It's on Saturday the 23rd and Sunday the 24th. The weekend ticket is €35, Euros, and that covers everything for the entire weekend. And uh, if you want to come on Saturday, Saturday only is €30, Euros, Sunday is 20 but the weekend ticket is great value at €35. Mm. So, um, so it's, uh, and if you're looking for tickets, it's uh, Divine Mercy Conference at uh, gmail.com or Divine Mercy Conference www.divinemercyconference.com um, .com, yeah. and you can get tickets online um, and through PayPal or you can send a check to 22 Castle Grove so uh, Clondalk and Dublin 22 but all of that all the information is there on the website or you can phone 086 um, 066 9203 either if you want to talk to somebody Thanks for that, Don. And we'll certainly put that information up on our blog that'll, that'll be going up um, this weekend. God bless Don, you. thank you so much. Thank you for this, for your time and this opportunity. God keep bless up, you. Keep, keep up the good work. And now we'll go over there with a piece of music. And this one is by John Merkel Talbot. It might be ideal, I'd say. It's Surrender. I surrender it all to you. So thanks again, oh, Don. Beautiful. We're talking in now, Don. Thanks very much, bye, John. Bye, God bye, bless sir. you and bye, your bye. listeners. Bye-bye. I surrender 
the second part of Sacred Space on Western Week 102. Uh, my name is Shane Ambrose and I'm joined on the programme this morning by John Keeley. So we are delighted to welcome back to the programme this morning uh, Rose O'Connor from the Limerick Diocesan Office. Good morning, Rose. How are things? Good morning, Shane. I'm good, thanks. Good, thank you. How are you? Not bad, not all. Now, people might remember Rose was on the programme a couple of, is it two years ago, Rose, at this stage, when you went off yes, to... Yes, it would have been, yeah. Yes. As yeah. one of the uh, Troker representatives representing uh, Limerick, Limerick Diocese. But you have a newer role, uh, Rose. Uh, you are now the pastoral implement, part of the pastoral implementation team, I think is how it's described. That's right, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh. I um, joined the diocesan team, yeah, in uh, September 2017. And right. I suppose essentially my role is to manage the implementation of the pastoral plan that came out of the Synod, which you, you remember. Mm-hmm. And as many of our listeners will, will as well. So this morning, <coughs> this morning we asked Rose to come on the program. It's just a quick short uh, and quick chat with us, because as listeners will be aware, <clears throat> but, uh, back in December we had an interview with Bishop Brendan about the introduction of the team ministry and pastoral units across Limerick Diocese. This was introduced on uh, effective from the second of December two thousand and eighteen, and. At the beginning of February, the diocese issued uh, guidelines for team ministry and pastoral units. So that's what we asked Rose to come on for this morning, just to highlight to people what exactly those guidelines cover, what they entail, and I suppose next steps that pastoral units will be undertaking so that people are aware of what's going on around the diocese. So Rose, the guidelines were issued on the 4th of February. So what exactly do they cover? 
Well, essentially, I suppose you, you have kind of the background to how we came about with this team ministry mm-hmm. proposal and where we got to where we are now. So mm-hmm. what came out from the various workshops that we held, because we, we had two, three series of consultations throughout all of last year, is that people wanted clarity around roles and functions and, um, you know, all that kind of information. So we said that we would put together some guidelines. And I suppose for me, an important word is guidelines and not rules or guidelines so that to help people to, to shape, um, you know, their, their own efforts in, in their pastoral units. So essentially, in terms of the contents of the guidelines, they cover like a definition of what is a pastoral unit, because that's a, quite a, an important aspect of the, the whole team ministry thing of parishes working together in par- pastoral units. It also covers the um, roles of the moderator and the co-parish priest. And I suppose that's quite a big step forward for people in that, you know, traditionally the role that would be undertaken by your parish priest is now undertaken by a team of priests. So they basically take on that role collectively as a team. Mm-hmm. And then the role of the moderator, obviously, is to to sort of coordinate them and to, to support them in that way. Um, and so it also then defines you know, what is the pastoral team, which at the moment would be predominantly the, the co-parish priest would be predominantly making up the pastoral team. But we would hope that would extend to include more lay people as we move forward. And then the pastoral unit council is um, quite an important body, actually, because that is the leadership body for <coughs> the pastoral unit, which is typically made up of three or four parishes. Some are a little bigger, some are a little smaller. Um, but the pastoral unit council actually supersedes the old individual pastor, parish pastoral councils that we'd all be familiar with. But it also supersedes the uh, pastoral area team, which was a previous structure. So it takes on those two roles together, but it's very much a leadership group. So it sets out practical information about what it is, what its function is, um, and it gives the guidance around the membership and the you know the number of people, the type of you know um, skills I suppose that you'd want within that. So it goes through all of that kind of practical information. And then what we envisage at the parish level is that each parish would have a local mission group. Some people will call it a local animation group, but there is a local group that's really about implementing on the ground. And so, again, it gives um, information about that. And I suppose it's, it shows how the different you know, roles actually link together. I suppose that would be the, the kind of key part of it. Mm. And I just just in terms of each of those, I suppose, constituent parts, I suppose, just to, to, to just go through one or two of them. In terms of the ones I suppose that people will be, I suppose, familiar with, first off, of course, will, of course, be the, the whole issue of the moderator and the parish priest. So I suppose it's to reemphasize to people that we're moving into kind of a new um, arrangement, as we call it, the team ministry, where we just mm-hmm. don't have one parish priest per parish anymore. It'll be a team of parish priests looking after the parishes in a particular um, pastoral unit. And they, and then on top of that, they are then to assist with that, there is what's called the pastoral unit council. Now, I suppose people might be wondering, well, this pastoral unit council kind of, who, who gets on it or how do people get involved with it or how is that all going to happen? Well, I suppose, I mean, in terms of guidance, we're suggesting that, you know, the membership be probably a minimum of 10 and ideally up to about 15 people. But it it may vary because some of the pastoral units are actually bigger than others. But really what we're saying is that each of the constituent parishes need to be represented on the pastoral unit council. Mm -hmm. But we're kind of asking people to think about the kind of skill sets that they need, especially if you consider it as a leadership group. Um, so I suppose it's kind of drawing on you know what kind of resources are available in each of the parishes and trying to sort of bring the best of, of those together. Mm-hmm. And I suppose for me, one of the important points is that 
well, when you come on your pastoral unit council, you're not there just to represent your parish. You're actually there to, to work as a unit together and to look at the unit as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it's trying to maybe get people into that mindset of thinking of the, the unit rather than their traditional individual parishes. You know, they're, they're actually looking at the, the good of the whole like when they, mm-hmm. when they actually take on that role. I suppose if I could use a rugby analogy, rather than playing for one of the provinces, you're now playing for the Irish panel. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> yeah. one. Actually, yeah. Yeah, you know that's yeah. you know we all we all support we all support our local we all support our local province, but when when the green jersey goes on, uh, that we you know we we all get in behind and push exactly. for the green cause. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I yeah, that's a very yeah. good analogy. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I suppose, then uh, the, if a person decides, you know, if a, if a person's put forward, I suppose, on onto the pastoral unit council, I suppose one of the questions that often comes up is, well, how long are they, how long are, you know, if you like, are they tied into it for? Well, what we're suggesting in the guidance is that they'd be appointed for a five-year term. Now, a mm-hmm. lot of these, traditionally, these guidance would say three years, but our kind of experience is three years is very short when you're trying to create something new. So we've suggested, you know, five years would be um, a good guideline for that. And, you know, the idea is that you'd have a changeover of membership, but obviously not everyone leaves after five years and have a completely new group. So the mm. kind of recommendation is that you would stagger that, you know, that you would try and bring new people in. Mm. And, you know, the idea is that if somebody can take a year out and come back again, it doesn't mean that you're you're gone forever. But I suppose it's to try and encourage, you know, new thinking and new people to get involved. And I suppose that's what I would see a major opportunity of um of this uh, this whole movement towards your know, pastoral units and team ministry is that hopefully we can widen the net really in terms of the number, particularly lay people involved. And I think mm. that's, that's very important. And in terms of then the lo- what's been called the local mission groups, Rose, this is what's actually, if you like, it's at down at the, 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 the club level, at the parish level, um, uh, in terms of, of, of uh, helping to make sure the parishes themselves are, are maintain their identity and and keep their own cohesion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, identity is something that came up time and time again in the consultation. It is important, you know, people have a sense of place in relation to their parish. But you know, I suppose if I was to sort of distinguish between the pastoral unit council and the, the local mission group or coordination group, whatever people want to call it locally, is that, you know, the... the Pastoral Unit Council is a kind of the leadership group that takes a kind of a helicopter view of, of the whole of the pastoral unit. And then the, the local mission groups are very much about implementing. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, if if um, if as a unit, the, the Pastoral Unit Council thought we should look at, you know, um, implementing a funeral team ministry, for example, then the, the implementation will always take part, will actually take place on the ground. And so that's where the local mission group will come in, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of identifying people and, and, you know, putting them forward for training. And you would hope that the, the mission group would work across the parishes as well, you know, not just within their own area. But they're they're the doers, the people that actually, you know, keep everything going in the parish mm. that are actually there week in, week out, you know. One important clarification I think which we I think needs to be highlighted to people, which was issued in the in the, the guidelines which was issued by the diocese, is in relation to parish finances. Because I know a lift has been raised quite a number of times, Rose, it has qua- caused certain people a degree of concern because People don't seem to quite, uh, they, they can't seem to get their uh, comfortable with the fact that parish finance structures are not changing. And I think it's important that the guidelines also reaffirm that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, know it is. It is a very big topic. Again, one that came up a lot, you know, as we went around the diocese talking to different um, pastoral councils. And I suppose, yes, as you said, the, the parish remains as a legal entity and it accounts for its own finances. So it, it is its own 
financial entity in that way. But I suppose in terms of the spirit of the the team ministry, um, you know, as I mentioned, the the role that would be traditionally a single parish priest is now undertaken by a team. So that, you know, big decision that we're saying is that, you know, everyday expenditure and stuff like that is very much a local decision and to be managed locally. But where you're talking about bigger, maybe new projects coming in, then there's you were saying that the the team really needs to be in agreement with that, and mm-hmm. where the, the the team of co-parish priests acts in any juridic way, they act through the moderator. That is what the function of the moderator is in that sense. But it's very much a team decision. So that let's say, for example, one parish wouldn't decide, you know what, we'll just build a pastoral centre for ourselves. You know that, you know, mm-hmm. that if you were to look at something like that, it would be in consultation with the whole of the pastoral unit, maybe to see, you know, is it needed and where would be the best place. So that's things like that. You know that we're saying really the team would work on that, but you know, parishes would still account for their own finances. That would still be the case. Okay, okay, and it's always good just to clarify that again, as there is there are, there is a quite there was or there is a quite a degree of confusion, uh, and some people uh, just. Uh, they, they seem to be slightly confused on that particular issue. I suppose, Rose, just to close things up on it, um, and just to thank you for coming on briefly this morning, just to tell us about it, just looking at the introduction from Bishop Brendan to the guidelines, which are, by the way, if people are looking for them, they are available on the uh, diocesan, diocesan website. website yeah. Yeah. So he just, yeah. he, make, he just makes the point that the steps we're taking together are in tune with the phenomenon the world over, uh, that the, there is a realization that needs to be a greater collaboration and togetherness than before. And he quotes, of course, that great expression of Pope Francis taken from the apostolic exhortation Evangelii Gaudium. I dream of a missionary option that is a missionary impulse capable of transforming everything so that the church's customs, way of doing things, times and schedules can be suitably channeled for the evangelization of today's world rather than for her self-preservation. And the Pope reminds us that the renewal of structures demanded by pastoral conversion has to be done as part of an effort to make them more mission orientated. And I think that, I suppose, is what the point that Bishop Brennan is trying to bring across, that the restructuring that we have in the diocese is to help overall, um, you know, maintain the mission that we have as a community of faith throughout the diocese. Absolutely, yeah. And to empower the lady as well, I think, in, in you know, playing their role in that. Okay. All right, Rose, listen, thank you so much for coming on and discussed that with us this morning. And thank you for just telling us about those guidelines for team ministry and pastoral units. As you said, they're available on the Diocesan website for all those that wish to see. And of course, we would be saying to people is make sure you, you know, check in with your local parishes to find out exactly what's going on in your local pastoral unit. And of course, now I'm with your uh, local mission group, as they're now called uh, at, the, at the parish level. Rose, thanks very much. Lovely. Thank you very much. My okay. pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so just to finish off this uh, second part of the programme this morning, we have a piece of music entitled, well, be appropriately, We Are One Body, and this is from the Integrity Worship Singers. So let's hear this. Sacred Space
welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. So I'm joined in studio here by Anne, and Shane is on the other end of the Skype line. So as usual, this is the part of the program where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, uh, Anne usually shares, shares this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Anne. Lord, we thank you for pushing us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this order in union with Mary. He used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for that, Anne. So the Gospel for today, the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, it's verse 17 and 20 to 26. Jesus came down with the twelve and stopped at a piece of level ground where there was a large gathering of his disciples with a great crowd of people from all parts of Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Then fixing his eyes on his disciples, he said, How happy are you who are poor, yours is the kingdom of God. Happy you who are hungry now, you shall be satisfied. Happy you who weep now, you shall laugh. Happy are you when people hate you, drive you out, abuse you, denounce your name as criminal, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice when that day comes and dance for joy. For then your reward will be great in heaven. This was the way their ancestors treated the prophets. But alas for you who are rich, you are having your consolation now. Alas for you who have your fill now, you shall go hungry. Alas for you who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Alas for you when the world speaks well of you. This was the way their ancestors treated the false prophets. That's the Gospel for today, as I said, the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time. And Shane, we've probably got about nine minutes or so. Um, would you like to start off, Shane, a little bit of a reflection, please? Yeah, um, well, I, I can start. <laughs> <coughs> so, of course, this week well, we are journeying through the Gospel of Luke this year, of course. And so what we have today is Luke's presentation of the Beatitudes, um, which is all sometimes known as the Sermon on the Plain, as opposed to Matthew's The Sermon on the Mount. And it comes in Luke's Gospel after Jesus has named the Twelve as Apostles. So he, he has picked out the Twelve Apostles. And the way it's understood in, in Luke's account, in Luke's chronology, if you like, the way Luke has structured his gospel is Jesus has reconstituted the, the, the kingdom of Israel by picking the 12 disciples, i.e. to represent the 12 tribes. And then when we get into 
to the Beatitudes, what he's setting out is he's setting out the, the way that the new Israel, which is the followers of Christ, are supposed to live, which we take in, in, in we read about in the Beatitudes. And the interesting thing with Luke's account is he gives us a, a good and a bad. You know, he says, blessed are you if you do this, if you don't do that. It's not quite the same the way Matthew does it. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting um, uh, kind of way of presenting things. And of course, we must remember that Luke was writing for a Gentile, generally was writing for a more Gentile audience, uh, whereas Matthew and Mark would have been writing more for a Jewish audience. But in terms of, I suppose, reflecting on it uh, today, I suppose it, it, it poses a couple of questions for us in terms of, you know, you, when you read and reflect on the Beatitudes, you're never going to fit all of them. You're never going to, to tag all of them, if you like. They're, they're messages of consolation to us as we journey through our lives. Um, but it's also, I suppose, to be careful that they're not Pollyanna-ish. Um, you know, like, I suppose it's to be careful. You say, happy are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Now, fair enough, I suppose, one way of interpreting that is we are not um, over-concerned with material possessions. It doesn't mean we turn around and say to the poor and the those that have nothing that, you know, God bless you and the kingdom of God is yours. You know, you don't preach the gospel to a man on, an, on a hungry stomach or whose, fa- wife and, whose wife and family are, are starving or need medical assistance. So it's a case of... Uh, we need to be very careful how we, you know, read and understand the gospel uh, that's presented to us this Sunday, um, and what it says to each of us, I suppose. So if we, you know, we go through one or two of them, I suppose, happy you who are poor, yours is the kingdom of heaven. I suppose it's a reminder to us not to become over fixated on the the material possessions of life. <coughs> Excuse me, John. Uh, now, the other thing, happy you who are hungry now. now. I don't think anyone would accept that, you know, hunger is a great, is a good thing. Uh, and I, 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 I suppose many people would say, well, it's unlikely that Jesus was saying, blessed are you if you're starving. Um, you know, but hungry for right and justice and for hungry for God in our lives is one way that that is understood and interpreted because then you shall be satisfied. Um, and happy you who weep now, you shall laugh. And I think for many of us, maybe that would be the one that we could take most, a lot of comfort for, because grief comes knocking on everyone's door at some stage. Um, you know, so it's just something for us that it would provide a degree of, of, of assistance to, to, to each of us. Um, in terms of the second one, which I think is very interesting, and it's the section where happy are you when people hate you, drive you out, abuse you, denounce your name as criminal and so forth. I think for us, this is something that we need to really think about maybe this particular Sunday. And I'm not necessarily talking in an Irish context. There's nobody coming and knocking on the doors to arrest Catholics and Christians in Ireland. There's a culture there at the moment which seeks to belittle Christianity. There is a certain element of society which seeks to remove us and our view from the public square, there is definitely an element there which thinks religion has no place outside the four walls of a place of worship, uh, all of which are wrong, by the way, but that's, you know, we, we have to convince people of that. But also, it's a reminder to us, if you think about those in China, for example, today, 
who are actually persecuted for bearing the name of Christ, for those that have entered into prisons in in Saudi Arabia, into Vietnam, these kind of countries, we need to beware and conscious of them, um, you know, at this time as well. And also the fact that we are in support of them. Because, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, people were very conscious of what was happening to Christians behind the Iron Curtain when the you know when the Berlin Wall was still there. There isn't so much that degree of awareness of the persecution that Christians around the world are undergoing today. And it's something we need to remind ourselves again and again. You know, uh, but it's also you know a, rem- a reminder to us that, you know, to be a Christian, even in Ireland today, is to be countercultural. You know, we are no longer in a place where the, the, the prevailing culture supports us in what we do. Being a Christian in Ireland today means making a positive choice to be a Christian. You know, you have to, dis- you have to actually decide this is for me, rather than just coasting along with so- on a wave of social cohesion. And it's that, in- that choice that, um, that has been made uh, it means the people are, that are making that choice, they're more aware of what they're doing, and it gives a more intense um, faith, you know, particularly for younger people. Like, it's not a case of those of us under the age of 40 or under the age of 30 are completely abandoning the faith. It's just that there are fewer of us, but those that are actually practicing the faith have made that conscious decision to participate. And, and it, should be, um, it should be encouraged. Uh, in, in, in where we stand today. So, John, just a couple of brief words kind of on this Sunday's Gospel. Thank you very much, Neil, for sharing. Okay, um, just reflecting on the Gospel today, the, the, the word that kept on, or the phrase that kept on um, getting to me, making me look more and more and more, and even though I went away from it, I had to keep on coming back to it, was the phrase uh, just at the end of the first paragraph, then fixing his eyes on his disciples, he said, that word fixing his eyes on his disciples, we're, we're really his disciples. We follow as best we can the teaching of Jesus. Each week he speaks to us where we are. He fixes his eyes on us and offers us hope and a way to live our lives as best we can. Besides God, I mean, God is fixing his eyes on us, so he hasn't taken his eyes off us each week. He's there with us each week. Yeah, we can go hungry, we can poor, we can be ignored and even rejected by the standards of today's society. But as we're told in today's Gospel, we will be satisfied knowing that God can handle whatever life throws up for us. I think we need to remember that. God can handle whatever life throws up for us. He's got his eyes fixed on us. He's there to take care of us. So maybe this week, let's allow Jesus to fix his eyes on, on, on us. And I'll just finish with, that, with, with just reading the responsorial psalm today, because I think the, I think the responsorial psalm this morning is, is beautiful. The response is, happy the man who has placed his trust in the Lord. And the verses go, happy indeed is the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked, nor lingers in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the company of scorners, but whose delight is the law of the Lord, and who ponders his law day and night. He is like a tree that is planted beside flowing waters, yet yields its fruit in due season, and whose leaves shall never fade and all that he does shall prosper. And the response again, happy the man who's placed his trust in the Lord. So for me anyway, I'm going to try as best I can to allow the Lord to fix his, his eyes on me this week and give me what I need where I am. And as we often say in this programme, he loves us a bit, 
he wants to take care of us as best we can, let's just give him a chance to do that by allowing him to fix his eyes on us. So that about brings us to the end of this programme um, today. Thanks a lot, Shane, for, for sharing the programme with me. Again, um, you brought Rose on this morning to give us some ideas of what's happening in the diocese. And, of course, many changes are going to happen over the next few weeks. And no doubt we'll be speaking with Rose again at some stage. Exactly. And thank you very much, Dave, for coming on the programme. Sharing the programme. Thank you. So at this part of the programme, we'll go out for a final bit of music. And this one is by Mark Forrest. And this one is entitled, I haven't played it for a long time, I Believe. So next week, where we have, I think it's um, Father Columba McCann from the Glenstone, from the Benedictines in Glenstone, comes to speak to us about the oblets. So until next week, God bless you all now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. of rain that falls a flower grows I believe that somewhere in the darkest night a candle glows I believe for everyone who goes astray Someone will come and show the way I believe I believe I believe above the storm The smallest prayer Sacred Space.